This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. We love using Active Skin Repair in our house, and we're about to head out for a month of travel, and so I'm definitely packing my Active Skin Repair in our bags because you just never know with kids. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and all other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, so I love using it for my littlest ones, but it can be also used for more sensitive skin conditions like rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews, plus ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off of your order with code no one told us. Welcome to this episode. We have Jess Vanderweer here, and Jess is a registered psychotherapist who helps families understand and respond to their children with gentleness and respect. Jess has a master's degree in counseling psychology and has logged thousands of clinical hours supporting parents and their children. And she's also the founder of Nurtured First, which is one of my very favorite Instagram accounts for as long back as I can remember. Back when you were our mama village too, I just loved following you for parenting content. You use your expertise to support parents in your online parent community and your online courses and free resources. Nurtured First offers daily parenting guidance to over a million families on Instagram, such a huge deal. And you're committed to working with parents and caregivers to create a generation of children, parents, and caregivers who are nurtured first. And so you just recently went through like a rebrand and you hit a million followers. I feel like it's been such a huge year for you. You also had a baby recently. Um, So you're juggling a lot. I really appreciate you joining us and, and taking the time to chat. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here on your podcast. I'm so excited for you to be starting a podcast. And Thank the you. Field- the feeling's mutual. Like I absolutely love your page. Everything that you talked about with infant sleep has totally changed the way that I see my own infant and has helped me so much this last year. So thank you oh for gosh. having me on. I'm so glad it could be helpful for you. Yeah. I feel like in both of our spaces, both sleep and parenting, there are so many different accounts and perspectives and it's hard to kind of filter it all out. But yours is one that I always feel is very realistic and just nurtures like in your name, nurtures the parent and the child all at once. So I really love that. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that is very near and dear to both of our hearts, Mm -hmm. especially in this last year, which is siblings. And we both recently welcomed our third baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot that can kind of come with that expansion of a family, right? So I would love to hear just first about how, because you've shared a little bit about this on Instagram, but just for anybody who's not very familiar with your page, um, I love how honest you are about the realities of adding a new baby. So I would love for you to just kind of chat about how each of those transitions has gone in your family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm so curious to hear your <laughs> experience too. Yeah. Uh, adding, I'll start with the, the first baby. So th- when I added my first baby, that was just a huge life change for me. I went from being a working professional, being in school. I was a therapist and I worked with families and I worked with kids. So I thought, okay, you're for sure going to be ready for this life change. You literally work with families and kids every single day. But even even though I had done the work, I hadn't lived it out as a parent. And it was very surprising to me and my anxiety that I had really experienced my whole life, but not really dealt with really peaked uh, in that first postpartum experience. So that was really challenging experience. 
And I struggled a lot, especially around anxiety around baby sleep. Like that was probably my biggest anxiety that I struggled with. And I know that you and I can relate (laughs) on that. And that was so surprising for me. I really had not learned or had known anything about baby sleep coming into parent parenting. I was kind of like, oh yeah, I'm sure you just put them down and they sleep. Like that's basically (laughs) as much as I knew. Yeah. So then when my oldest daughter, she wouldn't sleep and, and she really struggled with the newborn stage. Like she wasn't a sleepy newborn. She was up every 45 minutes, always screaming, Mm -hmm. but I was terrified to hold her to sleep. I started basically at that time, that was like six and a half years ago. So I started really scrolling Pinterest. Like that's where I was learning about baby sleep and everything was like, well, drowsy, but awake, drowsy, but awake. So (laughs) that was my experience adding my first baby until it really started crumbling down and my family was like, we're worried about you. Like you're never sleeping. You're really struggling. And so I went and I actually got my own therapy, started to see, oh my goodness, like I've been giving these, given what I'm reading online, like these really toxic messages about baby sleep. And it's making me feel so anxious and feel like I'm the problem because my daughter doesn't sleep more than a four hour stretch when really like that was, that was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so that was my experience with my first baby. And then by the time she was one, I was feeling so much more more confident and, and better as a mom. But I still definitely was not ready for more kids. And actually, this is something I haven't talked about too much. But for a long time, I thought for sure I was only having one because mm-hmm. my experience was so hard. And I thought to myself, like, there's no way that I could ever enter back in. So between my oldest daughter and my second daughter, there's a three-year age gap. And around the time when I got pregnant with my second, finally, I was starting to feel like, okay, maybe, like, I think I could feel ready. Uh, my pregnancy with my second was actually so much better. I felt like really good. That was definitely my best pregnancy by far. And I was feeling like really ready for parenthood. I had like all these supports lined up and like ready to go. And then, of course, if you follow my page, uh, or even if you don't, she was born in March 2020. Perfect. (laughs) I had told myself this story of, like, things are going to be so much easier this time. Like, you're going to have support. You know your anxiety. Like, you know what you need. Um, But still, yeah, then, of course, she was born the week that the entire world shut down. Yep. Uh, But there was something really precious about that time for us because we had no expectation to be anywhere, no expectation Mm -hmm. to go anywhere. And like those first weeks were so like such a beautiful time, actually, with my family Mm -hmm. because we didn't have to do anything but just lay with the baby and feed the baby. And that was really the time when I started to realize like, oh, like I can do this. Like I, (laughs) I can do this. And it was a really special time. Um, and then we can talk about like adding the sibling maybe a little bit later we can get into some of the things that I did there yeah but that was definitely a big transition for my oldest because then she went from like full mom and dad all the time like all the attention to splitting that plus not being able to go to daycare and not being able to see her friends that was really tricky yeah I'm sure any parent listening who had a pandemic baby can relate to all these mixed feelings about it, right? Like it was so nice in so many ways to have that little bubble, but then the lack of support and lack of community can make it really tough too. Yeah. It was that balance of like, yes, it's so nice to just, no one is holding my baby. I can just hold her all day long. And Mm -hmm. then also, okay, but no one gets to meet my baby and I'm alone and I don't have any help. So and yeah. I'm sure you can relate to that too. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Cause our, our middles are only a couple months apart. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Noe, my middle was about six weeks at that time. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's when we found each other online. I feel yeah, like I started that's following I started, you That's when then. I started my account too. I started oh, was my it? Okay. in March of 2020. Yeah. So it was like that same season um, mm-hmm. that just feels like it was 20 years ago now, but it was yeah, a crazy time. So yeah, would you say then that so your would you say then that that was your easiest transition the the when mm-hmm. your second daughter was born okay and yeah, then how did it go with the third um yeah the third I would say was the hardest and I feel like I haven't like shared too too much about it I've said on my page that it's been difficult mm-hmm. um, I think it was the hardest not because of the baby like mm-hmm. uh, she actually was a really easy addition to the family I, mm-hmm. I was curious if you felt the same way like yeah. I felt so ready her sleep like nothing about that bothered me I was totally fine waking up with her in the night but it was this balance of like adding the baby plus having the two older kids who Mm -hmm. really needed me and my middle was only two so she had a lot more big feelings she's very sensitive so it was a lot harder for her to adjust than my oldest okay Plus trying to run a business, which I yeah. know that you can understand. <laughs> um, you don't get a mat leave. Like you're still going. You're nope. still trying to run your business and trying yep. to take care of everything there. The mix of all of that was incredibly hard on me. My husband, Scott, works for like we work together. So yep. on him trying to pick up all of the slack and that I think really made that transition difficult. Yeah, I can so relate to that because we... Um had our baby about eight months ago. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like our kids are pretty similar in ages. But I always say like adding Lenny, my baby was the easiest transition as far as the baby. Like she's our chillest baby by far. Mm -hmm. Like she's not our best sleeper, but that stuff doesn't bother me anymore. Kind of like what you said. It has been a hard transition, but not because of the baby, because of everything else. Yes. (laughs) The bigger kids juggling their schedules. They're older now. They're back and forth from school and activities and you know, obviously my business has picked up a lot since the last time I was on a maternity leave, quote unquote. So yeah, it definitely has been more intense just as far as the juggling of all the things. But the baby itself, she's like the great part. She's the easy part. It's been funny to see the different age gaps too, because my oldest has been, and he's my highly sensitive kid, but he has been completely like unfazed by the addition of the baby. Like Mm -hmm. he absolutely adores her. He didn't really show any big feelings about this new person in our family. Like he has really just embraced her. Whereas my middle had a little bit of a like split personality kind of thing happen where like, she's so in love with the baby, like absolutely loves being a big sister, loves the baby so, so much, but also has been struggling a little bit more. So I would love to kind of dive in Mm -hmm. to talking about maybe how to prepare your older children when you're kind of still either thinking about adding to your family or you're pregnant, or maybe you've just had a newborn and you're seeing these things. What are the, what would you say are the best strategies for preparing a toddler or a really young child for a new baby? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think a few things that we did do well and and that I teach to families first is just trying to role play what it's like with the toddler to have a new baby so even though my toddler, she was not too, not even quite two yet when we had the baby, we were able to get dolls and kind of role play and be like, this is what's in mommy's belly. And, and mm-hmm. we'd have the baby out and we'd practice using soft hands. We'd practice putting the baby in the bassinet and like taking a step back and being like, when the baby's laying in the bassinet, like we can't touch her. Like what's mm-hmm. that going to be like? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's like one really small thing that we can do with our, like those really little kids who you're not going to have 
those really lengthy conversations with, like with your oldest, you probably can actually sit down with him and have a real conversation and be like, look, like we're going to have a new baby. Here's what it's going to be like. And here's how you might feel. And those conversations with our older kids are amazing and can be super helpful. But those little toddlers, I think that's the trickiest age because it's hard for them to really understand the impact of what's going on. Right. And they do learn so well through play. So role playing Mm -hmm. is a really great tip. We did a lot of that too, like with baby dolls and and things like Mm -hmm. that. What kind of conversation would you recommend having with a child who is a little bit older and maybe does understand what's coming? How do you even begin to talk about that? It's such an abstract concept when you're still pregnant, I guess. It's kind of hard for them to really envision it still, but... Absolutely. Yeah. A a couple things I think are really important. I love to do books with my oldest child. And I I think we have a list of books somewhere that I can send to you. You can put in your show notes, but I have a list of books that I really love to read with kids to help them understand like what it's like when a new baby comes. So the book might be about the baby's in mommy's belly, or the book might even be about when the new baby comes is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like. And I think Again, like you were saying with the role play, you're speaking a child's language, which is play. Uh, Stories is a way that kids really learn. And so that's for our little toddlers all the way up to our older kids. They can learn super well through stories. I would also just tell my daughter, like my daughter just loves to hear like, mom, tell me a story. Tell me something that's going on. So I would just tell her a story like, oh, I remember when I was your age, when I was five, then my mom had my little baby brother, Sam. Like This mm-hmm. is a true story. And I remember when she had Sam and like, I was so excited, but also it was really tricky sometimes because I missed my mom and, and she was really busy. And so I would tell her the stories of these things that I thought might happen mm-hmm. to help her already start connecting some of those dots ahead of time. Yeah. And you're kind of normalizing that experience Mm -hmm. for her, right? Where we can have a couple of different feelings at once. And yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Like really for our older kids, helping them understand these mixed feelings, like you might be excited about the baby and you might be jealous Mm -hmm. and you might miss mommy and the baby might be really cute. And like, we're, so we're trying to show them that all these things can exist at the same time. Right. Another thing that I've shared on my page that I found really helpful was trying to prepare her ahead of time for missing me and Mm -hmm. having like a couple little strategies that she could use in case she felt disconnected from me. And so basically how that went is I told her that whole story of like, you know, when mommy has the baby, I'm going to have be busy. I'm going to be taking care of you. I'm going to be taking care of the baby and I'm going to be taking care of your other sister. And like, that's a lot of people to take care of. And I always want to be with you and like support you and be there for you. But sometimes like I just might have a lot going on and I might not notice that you need me. So we had a couple little things. There were like secret little signals between her and I where she could touch my elbow. And I said, if you touch my elbow, I'll put my hand back on your elbow and then you'll know that that mommy sees you and I'll come to you as soon as I can. Or like I told her, you're allowed to walk right up to mommy and say, I miss you. I need time with you. (laughs) And I said, if you say that, I will respect that. And I will spend time with you. And she actually did it a few times where she would actually with her little assertive stance, like come up and be like, mom, I miss you. I need time with you. I'd be like, you're right. Okay, let's do that. I love that. I wonder if that just would cut down on some of the, because I think a lot of times people will see these like behaviors that are really connection seeking behaviors, mm-hmm. um, but they look like negative behaviors because we just don't know always what's going on inside their little yeah. mind. So I wonder if giving them a script like that or something that they can do or say 
would cut down on some of those because they can just get their message across without having to engage in those types of things. Totally. I think it helped her. Like my oldest, it helped her so much because she just knew, well, instead of having to like hit or get really angry or grumpy, I mean, she still did get grumpy or frustrated yeah, sometimes too. Cause she's like any of us yeah. five or six. And I mean, <laughs> right. I was too. So <laughs> understand, but she had the language to just come to me and tell me what she needed. And she would, and then I would do my very best to honor that. And if I couldn't be like, Hey, right now I can't help you because I'm feeding the baby or I'm helping mm-hmm. your sister. Um, but at this time, then we will spend that time together and really trying to respect that. I think cut down on a lot of challenges between her and I. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I love that. And did you do any like, I know a lot of people say you should be kind of proactive and try to set aside time every day for, I found that really hard. Mm -hmm. I did really try to set aside like special time or one-on-one connection time with my kids, but I did find it hard, especially in the first few weeks to make sure that I was doing it every single day with each kid. Did you do any of that? Or do you think that that's realistic? I think that can feel really overwhelming to be like, I have to spend special time with each of my kids. And it sounds, it seems so simple. Like, how can I Right, it sounds like it should be easy, right? I know. But when you have a newborn, it it can be tricky. Yeah, when you have a newborn. And even I found into like the six, seven month age where my daughter still like, and now all of a sudden it took longer to get her down for a nap. And Mm -hmm. like, I'm in and out of her room because I'm not quite sure what her schedule is. And Mm -hmm. I felt like that age like the age Lenny's at, like, I felt like yeah, that was really hard. tricky for me. Um, so one thing I, I call it something a little different, I call it tiny moments. And my thing is like, even if it's just like a wink at them, like, mm-hmm. Hey, wait a little wink. I'm not a good winker, but like <laughs> a little wink at them to say like, Hey, I see you. You're playing really nice. 
or just like a little pat on the back or like just thinking like, oh, I know they love this snack. Like I'm going to put it out on the table before I go upstairs. And so I'm not thinking I have to spend this 10, 15 minutes of like connected time together because it's just not always realistic, especially Mm -hmm. when you're a mom of two, three, four. Mm -hmm. But I like to think of it as a tiny moment, like just a very short, even seconds long moment of connection can make a really big difference. I love that. Just something that lets them know that you see them and you're thinking about them and mm-hmm. that you're still there for them too. That's a really good piece of advice. Cause I think, yeah, a lot of the messaging around there feels like it should be doable. And then when you actually have that newborn baby and you're juggling all these little people, it feels like, Oh my God, I can't even spend 10 minutes with my kid. What is wrong with me? Like mm-hmm. I should be able to do this. And it's going to be like detrimental if I don't. So mm-hmm. tiny moments is a really, really great idea. What do you then do if, cause we were talking a little bit about behaviors that you might see. And I know a lot of parents have this happen and I would be curious to see what it was like with yours. But I think sometimes there's like this honeymoon period when you first bring a new baby home and it's just so sweet and maybe they're sleepy all the time. So it seems like a really easy baby and (laughs) your older child is just like really excited and, you know, the baby's not really bothersome to them yet. And then things can shift and you might notice some changes in behavior. I have parents write to me all the time, like, oh my gosh, my toddler was sleeping through the night and now they're up all night again. And I can't do this because I have a newborn now too. Mm -hmm. Like, when is this going to stop? Do you, did you experience that in your own life? And then what do you notice the most as far as what's happening with toddlers and and little kids after that initial kind of honeymoon period? Mm -hmm. I felt that (laughs) To be fully honest, I did not have a honeymoon period with my toddler. Like, I think she was at my parents' house. They were watching her. And I definitely did with my first. Like I said, that that transition was a little easier. But with my Mm -hmm. second, my toddler came home and immediately had this, like, deep, aggressive love for the baby. And so we did a lot of prep work. And, like, a lot of it did definitely pay off. Like, she was able to, like, she knew about the soft hands. And Mm -hmm. she knew about stepping back to the bassinet. But I think what I was like still trying to learn and understand about my toddler at the time was her sensitivity and how deeply she felt things. And I don't think like she was just starting to kind of come into that personality at age two. And so when we added a new baby, it just completely turned her world upside down. It was really challenging for her. So she she definitely stopped sleeping well, Mm -hmm. like you talked about. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because I, I work with toddlers who don't sleep well, as like we both do. And um, like, I've worked with so many families who are like, I added a new baby and the toddler stopped sleeping well. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened to me, too. <laughs> so yeah, that, we're not immune to this stuff, no, <laughs> unfortunately. Even, and the thing is, like, even though we know, like, I know some of the things that could really help her sleep. When you're in survival mode, you're not thinking about these things that you know. You're just like, no, I just yeah. need to get through the day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she stopped sleeping well. She was up many times in the night. And then because I think a big part of it was she wasn't sleeping well. Now during the day, she's overstimulated and overwhelmed. So I think that that part of it was really tricky for me. And, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Do you want me to talk about some of the things that we did to Yeah. I would love to hear what you guys did. Yeah. So one of the big things that we did, the first things was really trying to get her sleep back on track because Mm -hmm. she was like we weren't holding those boundaries. We were exhausted. And I think for a lot of parents, like you're just so tired that you're not holding boundaries mm-hmm. and then not holding the boundaries leads to you being more tired and exhausted and frustrated. And it just becomes this really yeah, vicious cycle. cycle. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what was happening to us. We weren't holding boundaries because we just didn't want to deal with the meltdowns, but then it was just becoming harder for us. So we started to hold some boundaries around sleep. And we actually, at that time, had moved her to the same room as her older sister, which worked Mm -hmm. really nicely. Um, She started kind of following her older sister's lead and realizing, like, it is time for bed. Um, We shifted her bedtime. Like, she was going to bed closer to, like, 930 um, because she was still having a nap. So Mm -hmm. I kind of went back to what I know about sleep and was like, whoa, hold on. She's having way too long of an afternoon nap. And now she's up till 930, 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. So we started shifting that time back. And we really had to, like, put our own tools that we know (laughs) into practice. Yeah. And routine, like it sounds so simple. And I'm sure you say this all the time too, right? You're like routine. Okay, that's basic. But actually, it's so helpful for kids to have a routine that they can rely on. Absolutely. Especially these more sensitive children who like if we're doing something different, they don't know what to expect. So every night she wasn't knowing what to expect. Like, is she going to get parents who are overwhelmed and tired and like, fine, just watch Dora the Explorer till 930? Or is she going to get parents who who are like, no, you need to go to bed at seven. Right. So we had to get clear on our negotiables and non-negotiables and our boundaries that we were willing to set. And and that was a really nice shift and helped her start sleeping a lot better in the night. And then we started sleeping better in the night, which I think helped us be able to navigate the daytime a lot better as well. For sure. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about um, sensitivity and temperament and, Mm -hmm. and what these types of kids, because I know we each have one of these, Mm -hmm. what types of things do you think are most important to keep in mind when navigating sibling stuff, adding a new baby? What's different about a child who is a little more highly sensitive? So for example, like the first thing that comes to my mind about a highly sensitive child when we think about adding a baby is like, it's going to be a lot more overstimulating. There's going to be crying. There's going to be changes in schedule, like all of those things that can be tough. What are some of the other things that you see the most either in your own family or with people that you work with? Mm -hmm. One of the big things I see and I've seen for years and the people that I worked with is change. Mm -hmm. So change transition can be really challenging for highly sensitive kids. And so when we're having a new baby, we're basically changing everything. So we're not only just changing like their daily routine, but also like we are changing because we are more tired and we're feeding a baby and we're taking care of another human. And so Basically, everything in their world is really disrupted. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's something that a child who might not have that temperament, which is being highly sensitive, like my older daughter, who is much more mild tempered. So from, you know, from birth, from toddlerhood, she's never had big meltdowns. She's just always been mild tempered. So for her change, it's a disruption. It's a big deal, but she can navigate it given the right tools and the right connection time. My other daughter, change feels so overwhelming. She feels things so deeply. And the other thing about sensitive kids is they take on our emotions. Mm -hmm. So when I'm overwhelmed and I'm overstimulated and I'm trying to feed a baby and also I'm sensitive. So I'm also (laughs) feeling overstimulated and I'm also like taking on her emotions. So it's like everybody's taking on each other's emotions. Like this is going to feel so deep for her. And so some of the messages that she needs is like, you know, Um, I see your emotion. She needs me to not take on her feelings and not join into her chaos. She needs to rely on me to be her calm, which can be really hard when you have a new baby. She needs some things to be consistent. That's why a bedtime routine, as simple as that was, having the Mm -hmm. same exact thing that she did every single night 
helped her rest. It helped her feel like now I'm safe to sleep because this is something I can rely on. So it's those little things with the sensitive kids that maybe a more mild tempered child like my oldest doesn't need to have the exact same routine every night. We can just say it's bedtime. She's like, okay, like she's so easy in that way. I know. (laughs) And so seeing the, the differences is, is really quite huge. I love that. And so you mentioned that you started um, having them room share. Mm -hmm. And so how was that helpful for your middle or your more highly sensitive? So did she, was she like afraid at night? Did it help with things like that? Or was it more just like a logistical thing to have them sleep together in the same room? Yeah, it was too. uh, I don't know if you can relate to this, but when we had our third baby, we had literally no nursery set up at all. So (laughs) same. we were moving at the time. So it was just a a disaster. (laughs) So we were kind of like in our head. So my two-year-old, she was just turned two at the time, uh, she was still in the crib. So we were like, okay, well, we'll just let the baby co-sleep with us until Mm -hmm. it's time to move her into the crib. And then we'll move her into the other room where there's already bunk beds with her sister. So Mm -hmm. it kind of was just a logistical thing. We didn't have another nursery for the baby. And it was time that I was kind of ready to move her into her own room. So then we needed to move her in with her sister. Right. And... It went so like, obviously, there was some challenges. But I think the part that really helped her was to know that her sister was also going to sleep. She wasn't alone in the room. She appears as though she's not afraid because she's very bold and loud and like (laughs) confident. And, and but she really underneath all of that, which is a lot of our sensitive kids does have these fears and does worry about being alone. And I mean, all kids separation is super daunting for them. And the idea of being alone for 10 to 12 hours is just too much. Yeah. So the idea that they could be together in the room, I think gave her just a lot of uh, ability to rest that she maybe didn't have when she was alone in her crib. So for her, it worked out really nicely. And I know that's not the case for all sensitive kids. Right. No, we just recently in the last couple months moved our kids into the same room and they've shared like on and off when we've been traveling or staying with people or something like that. And they love it. But I did get a lot of questions about it when I was sharing on my Instagram, especially because they're boy girl. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear what you think about siblings sharing rooms. When is it appropriate? When is it not appropriate? Like what types of things do you need to look for to keep kids safe? Absolutely. I get this question asked all the time too. I think sibling room sharing can be a really beautiful thing. I think it can be a really amazing gift to give to your children to have that time together to share a room, to get to bond in that way. And I also think that I get a lot of people saying, well, I really think that kids should have their own space and they should have their own rooms. But I think that that's a really big privilege that we can say that because I think a lot of people all over the world don't have the ability to put their kids in separate rooms. Absolutely and not. Yeah. That that seems to be a newer idea that our kids need our, their own rooms and their own spaces. Yep. Um, so that's just one thought I have. That's kind of a separate thought. I think what you're saying to keep it safe, we want to make sure that there's ground rules. And uh, especially with siblings, we do want to be mindful of bullying because I would say that siblings can bully each other. And a lot of the adult clients I've worked with have struggled with that from their, their siblings. So as far as keeping siblings safe, when it comes to bullying, when it comes to preventing any sexual abuse between Mm -hmm. siblings, what are the main things that you would want to look for as a parent when you're thinking about putting your kids together? I'd want to look for what their relationship is like outside of the room sharing. So if you're already having issues where there is one child that's constantly picking on the other child, you feel like the one child, one of your 
kids often is hitting them or calling them rude names or I mean, outside of like the normal kind of sibling bickering, like they're fighting over a toy, but you're seeing this more intensive kind of behavior towards each other, I would be really hesitant to put them in their own room. What we really want to go with as our parents is like, do we trust that if these two are alone in a room together and I'm not there supervising them, is it going to be safe? And I will say that for some parents that I've supported or worked with, it doesn't seem safe. Like they're maybe one of their children is not at the spot where they can safely be alone with their sibling without uh, trying to hurt them or, you know, say things that would would be uh, deeply impactful to them. So I do think that parents like in yourself, you do want to feel confident that you can leave your children alone. And it's okay if the answer to that is no, I don't think that they're going to be a safe fit for each other. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of the boy girl sharing a room, it's similar where you do want to check in with yourself as a parent is your child. So the older child or the younger one, are they craving privacy? Are they at an age where they're like, I don't want to change in front of my sibling. And if so, uh, that's okay. We can still figure out ways to have some privacy within a a room sharing situation. Because like I said, people all over the world have to share a room. Like we can't Mm -hmm. just say, well, then put them in their own room because many houses just don't allow for that. Right. Uh, So we can have rules about, you know what, when he's changing, he's going to be alone in the room. We're going to give him that private space and that time. And then when he's done, then we can switch out. Um, we can have rules. Maybe we get changed in the bathroom. Like I know my older daughter, age six, she's at the point where she does like some privacy when she's changing. Mm-hmm. And I always want to respect that for her too. I don't want to say, oh, you can't have that because you share a room. Right. Um, so there's little things like that that we can be really mindful of when we're sharing rooms. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah, I love that. We, um, and this wasn't even on purpose, it was kind of just a space issue, but we kept all of Noe's clothes in her old room, which is going to be Lenny's room. And so they kind of change separately just because of that, because we don't have space for two dressers full of clothes in the one room. So, and we have other play spaces in our home too. Like our, you know, family room is kind of where all the toys are. So really they're just sleeping in their room. Mm -hmm. They go in there for bedtime and they come out in the morning. They're very rarely in there playing together at the same time or changing or anything like that. So that kind of makes it feel nice too, that they, you know, they're able to take some space from each other when they want to. They're not just constantly on top of each other in the same, same bedroom. Um, But it has been really nice. Like, I mean, Otto has always been a little bit more um, fine to sleep on his own. Like we haven't had a ton of issues with his sleep, but Noe definitely seems to be benefiting from having him in the room with her. It's really nice. And logistically for us as parents, it makes it easier because we do still lay with them most nights, not always, but they usually want us to lay with them while they fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And when they're in the same room, it only requires one parent, whereas before we would have to each take one. So that's been really nice too, just because the baby is a little more unpredictable now that she's getting older and developing and her schedule is constantly changing. Like I need to kind of be available to her while my husband takes the older two. Like they function kind of like a little unit now, which is nice. Mm-hmm. We have the same thing. My husband usually takes care of the older two. And that's the other really nice thing about room sharing and I take care of the baby, yep. who's now 13 months, but she'll always be a baby. She's the baby me. still. You can still she'll call her the newborn. She'll always be the baby. <laughs> I know. I still call her the newborn on my stories all the time. And people are like, I know, I love stop it. saying that. <laughs> it's hard. It's I so won't, hard. I won't. Yeah. It's so hard when it's your, I don't know if you guys are done, but for us, it's our last one. And it's yes. just like, it's really hard to come to terms with not being in a baby oh, stage yeah. anymore. Oh, yeah. I feel that. Yes. So as far as um, sibling relationships, what would you say are like some of the more important things to keep in mind when, because I have two sisters and I'm so close with them. I absolutely love them. And we had a great childhood together. Of course we fought, but maybe you should ask my mom, like, what did you do to make us make sure we ended up being close and like really liked each other and didn't feel competitive with each other? What do you think about like, is it up to the parent? Or is it just luck of the draw? If your kids get along? Like, how do we set our kids up to really enjoy each other and be friends one day? Oh, I love this, this question. I love so much. I was just with a group of mom friends a few weekends ago. And we talked about this for like, hours. Because I think as parents, one of our big goals often is we want our our kids to love their siblings and Mm -hmm. to love each other. But I also think we don't want to push friendship on them. We don't want to force them. You have to be best friends because I think that's a lot of pressure as well. So I I think there's a balance. I think we can do a lot as parents. I think a few things that are really simple that we can do is trying to avoid labeling every child. Like, this is my easy one. This Mm -hmm. is my... She's the, oh, she's the hard one, you know, she's, she's the wild always one. into trouble. Yeah. yeah. 
or even more so like as they get older we see oh she's the athletic one she's the Mm. popular one she's the smart one Mm -hmm. and I think that when we label our kids in that way and there's a difference between me saying you know my middle daughter is, is sensitive because that's just something that's true about her that I need to understand in order to parent her like in the way that's best going to serve course. her. And and us talking about it doesn't mean that we're saying it in front of everybody at a family gathering exactly. or something in front of them where they can hear us. Yeah. Yeah. Or in front of our kids. Right. Right. Um, so when I say that parents sometimes push back and be like, well, like this child is sensitive and that's true. And I, we do want to understand their temperaments, but we want to be mindful of like how we talk about that in front of them mm-hmm. uh, because that can easily breed competition. It can breed like, okay, well, now my parent says that I'm this one, so now that's kind of the life that I have to live for myself, and the mm-hmm. child follows that story. So I think avoiding the labeling can be one thing. Another thing that I'm super intentional about with my kids is when they hit each other or they are frustrated with each other, I try and avoid um, calling, like, making one of them always the troublemaker. Mm. Like, oh, like, again, like, seriously. Um and really speak love over the kids. And so something that I'll always be like, oh, you really love your sister and you hit her. Like, I'm just, I'm curious. Like, I know you love her so much and and you guys usually get along and you hit her. So that just doesn't really make sense. Like, what's going on? And I like to approach a sibling conflict starting with, I, I know you really love each other. And so this just doesn't really make sense what's happening. That curiosity piece and speaking that love over each other versus like, that's so mean. Why would you hit your sister has mm-hmm. really helped in our home, help them also recognize the love that they do have for each other, even in those tricky moments where they're not always feeling it. I love that. And you can kind of like narrate for them too, what you notice, like my kids, oh my gosh, they hit each other constantly. And like now that Noe's a little bit older, she is definitely finding her voice and fighting back. Um, and so one thing, like you just said, that's been helpful for us is to kind of just like narrate what's happened. Like, oh my gosh, Noe, like you just hit auto really hard. What was happening? Um, and kind of trying to speak from Otto's perspective, like Otto, he came over and, and wanted to join you. And then you didn't like that or like whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, I think helps them kind of make sense of, oh, he didn't hit me because he's bad or he didn't hit me because I'm bad or, you know, she didn't do this thing. She didn't scream at me because I did something wrong. She just needs space or whatever it is so that they can kind of start to see like, I don't know how they impact each other and what they could do differently next time. It definitely takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> for important them to for internalize that. <laughs> it's important for parents to know that we often are setting these boundaries over and over again, that it, it makes sense that we have to do that because our kids' brains are immature and yeah. they aren't just necessarily going to catch on the first time. But like you said, no. narrating out the entire scenario for our kids helps them understand perspective and helps them understand that, oh, my sibling doesn't hate me. They maybe just were struggling to control an impulse. Right. Uh, I see that with my girls now because I've narrated this for so long that if one of my kids does hit the other one the other day, she was like, she just really had a hard time controlling her hands, mom. And, and she hit me. And I was like, okay, look at us. Like it's we're getting working. there. We're getting there. Yeah. So those small successes. Uh, another thing that along the lines of hitting, I think is really important. I talk a lot about on my page too is boundaries and also re- recognizing when we need to step in. So I'll often try and step in. Like if I see that my toddler is ready to hit her older sister I'll try and like put my body in between before she ever mm-hmm. hits 
or I'll just like bring her into a hug or give her some space before she hits and recognize Mm -hmm. like you love your sister so much. And I know it's really hard to control your hands right now. And I know you don't want to to hit her. So even though this is hard for me or for you, I'm going to take you out of the situation and I'm just going to give you a little break. Yeah, we have to do the same thing. You mentioned like aggressive love and we've definitely Mm -hmm. entered that stage with my girls where um, the baby is a little more mobile now. She doesn't look like just this little doll that we have Mm -hmm. to be like super gentle with. She's like interactive. And since she's become more interactive and more mobile and social, my middle daughter has taken it as a sign that she is ready to like wrestle and ready to, you know, just be in the mix all the time. So she gets this like look in her eye and this energy that my husband and I can now spot from a mile away where Mm -hmm. we're like, she's about to go up and squeeze this baby to death or like whack her on the head or kick her in the face or something. And like, it has definitely happened. And luckily the baby is very easygoing (laughs) and she's like a classic third baby where she's just like, Oh, I'm fine. I don't care. Um, yeah. So now we've kind of had to resort to just as much as we can, when we see her in that mode with that look in her eye, we just remove her from the area because, you know, we can only tell her, no, we stop hitting (laughs) so many times because it's just, it doesn't work. And parents, I think are often really frustrated with quote unquote, like gentle parenting advice because they look at it like, oh, this doesn't work. Your child needs to be punished if they're hitting. They need, you know, they need stronger discipline if they're hitting. It means that they're not listening to you where, you know, none of that is true. It's just where they're at developmentally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like to think too, well, if my job is to be a leader of my kids, I'm going to go in before they even do the hitting. And like you said, mm-hmm. notice that look in the eye or notice those signs so that I'm not, so my toddler doesn't actually hit her sister. Like if mm-hmm. I can do that, because I feel like that is the most loving thing. And I know she doesn't want to hit. And I know even though maybe she acts silly afterwards, like I think underneath those feelings of silliness is, is maybe some shame or some guilt around yeah. hitting her sister. So I think we're just dysregulation, right? Yeah. They're just completely out of control in that moment. Yeah. She doesn't want to feel that out of control. So I think, to let parents know too, because I think another thing people say about gentle parenting is that it's permissive or that, um, yeah, that the kids take the lead, but actually we do need to be in charge and take the lead. And sometimes that means removing them from a situation and going together somewhere new. Mm -hmm. And that's okay too. Yeah. Cause we don't want to set them up to fail, right? We don't want to, especially if we can see it coming and we can stop it. Cause of course we can't always like, that's not realistic, but Mm -hmm you know, if we can see that it's coming, why would we allow it to happen? Right. When we can easily step in and, and help both of them, the baby stay safe and the toddler safe from, you know, like you said, doing something that might make them feel ashamed or, or more Mm -hmm. dysregulated. Um, well, thank you so much. All of this was so, so helpful. And a lot of this is also covered. I've taken your parenting course, the parenting little kids course, and it's so, so helpful. And just, understanding how their little minds work. And um, one of the pieces we love so much about it too is the curiosity piece and just kind of approaching each situation with our kids instead of going right to like a judgment or feeling like they are bad or we are doing something wrong as parents, just kind of really trying to figure out what is underneath it and what purpose does that behavior serve, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that getting curious piece, I think is so, so helpful for parents of kids with of any age, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting curious is is really the most important thing. I think when we stop just seeing behavior as behavior or hitting as hitting, but we see it as 
uh, a communication to something going on underneath the surface, I think not only can we actually help resolve that behavior because we're getting to the root of it, but also we have so much more compassion for our kids because Mm -hmm. we see them as these whole little people trying to communicate and trying to figure out. They always think like, for my three-year-old, I'm like, you've only been on this earth three years. Like, you don't right. have the ability to communicate these feelings. So I can help you with that. And I think that perspective alone is huge for parents. For sure. And I think when we are able, especially when we're navigating sibling stuff, when we're able to kind of look at each of the kids and see what their perspective must be and what needs they're trying to get met in this dynamic of siblings and of the family unit, it can be just really, really powerful and helpful. So Jess, thank you so much for joining us and talking all about siblings. I loved having this chat with you, especially because we both are moms of three and have had some really similar experiences. Yes. Where can people find you and access all of your amazing content? Absolutely. I would love if you come and join us over on Instagram, Nurtured First. Uh, I'm posting on there every day, usually on the stories, some tidbits, some insights, some day in the life stuff. Uh, So I would love for you to come join us there. And then if you want more on siblings, parenting related stuff, the getting curious, I would definitely suggest uh, checking out the Parenting Little Kids course. We go into deep detail on all of those topics and I would love to teach you more in there as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for always keeping it real with us. We really appreciate you. Thank you. You too. I appreciate you as well. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.